Psalm 46. Uh, This is October 30th, and um, it is the Sunday before. Uh, You know, we we celebrate October 31st, as many call it Halloween. Uh, Those of us who are Christians, who understand an important moment in church history, uh, we call it Reformation, right? It is a Reformation day. It is the day back in 1517 where Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the church door in, in Wittenberg, Germany. And he meant, right, for uh, 95 things to debate with the Catholic Church. And he wrote them in Latin. Um, somewhere along the line, right, within this time frame, somebody got these 95 theses and translated them into German. And the printing press, providentially, was just invented, right? They got printed and distributed. And so what Martin Luther meant for a debate, God meant for a reformation. And this morning, I just simply want to keep this in front of us. We want to, we want to have a heart in our, in our own walk with the Lord of always reforming. And I mean that word of coming back, uh, our thoughts, our life, under the authority of Scripture, it's easy for us to, to justify and to rearrange God's Word. We see that through the Pharisees who thought they were very good. Um, and yet Christ comes in His Sermon on the Mount and begins to fix all their addendums. Right? It's easy for us to twist Scripture and to justify our walk. And yet uh, we want to come back and say, Lord, we personally need a reformation. I believe the church today desperately needs a reformation. We come back once again to the authority of Scripture. And I do believe that as the church, if the church, by God's grace, would come under the authority of Scripture, that we would in fact open it and begin to read it and have a heart of Ezra that says, look what it says and give ourselves to the learning of it and to the teaching of it and to the instruction of it, that God, by His goodness, would bring about a reformation, a turn. I believe that is... Um, the answer to um, what is happening in our state and in our governments and our nation. Um, If there is going to be a change, we must come back to who God is. Trusting Him and knowing Him through His Word and having an idea of the mightiness and the majesty and the power of who God is. It is said of this psalm, and why I chose it, is that during the Reformation, Martin Luther, whose life was threatened many times, the Catholic Church sought to uh, extinguish him, and he was in hiding often. It is said that he would call upon Philip, uh, excuse me, um, Melanchthon, you can see his, his, uh, his name here, to come and sing this psalm. Come, let us sing this together this psalm. Let us lift our voices and sing Psalm 46. Luther would say of this psalm, he says, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends His church and His word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, 
against the relentless hatred of the devil and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. So in Luther's dark distress, often feeling the weight of the need of proclaiming Christ and yet doing that at the peril of his life, he saw in this psalm, despite his darkness, a bright light. He was immensely encouraged. He was strengthened in the confidence of God. Philip Schaff, who was a historian, wrote of this psalm and and the impact upon Luther. He said, It is as if this psalm, two great things meet together, our deepest griefs and our highest faith. This, this psalm is what led Martin Luther to write the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So as we look at this psalm this morning, and my desire is to simply encourage you that in the climate and culture in which we live, our God has not changed. And if the Lord is going to bring about reformation by His grace, He's going to do it through people like you and me. And when reformation comes, it will be attacked. Therefore, we must know the God of Scripture. So I want to encourage you with this psalm, and uh, even though we've read it already, I'm just going to simply point to it and, and just walk us through it, but I do want to offer a brief prayer. Father, as we look at this psalm now, I pray that despite the difficulties we might be experiencing today, I ask, God, that you would turn our eyes um, through this psalm, through your word, to your might, to your power, to, Lord, who you are, that we might know a little bit more about your character, that we might rejoice with all the saints who have gone before us, who have, Lord, embraced the truths of your word and see you clearly through it. I ask that your word now would burn in our hearts, that it would come alive, that our eyes would be opened and our ears open to the mightiness and might of our God, of you. This is your world. You have set everything in its place in the very breath in which we breathe. You have given to us. So Lord, bless this time for your glory and for your children. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the background to this psalm, right, as we see Martin Luther cling to it, and there's good reason for that. You can simply read it and go, our God is a refuge, our God is a strength, our God is with us in the midst of her, all these wonderful truths that come from uh, this psalm, and yet the context expands, and it should expand your confidence. The story behind this is, is the Assyrian army coming to take Jerusalem. They are coming in uh, to Israel, and they're coming to Jerusalem, and and before them, the the Assyrian army is simply Assyria and Israel, and they're taking and demolishing. Everything in their path is simply destruction. Hezekiah is the king during this time, and he has fortified Jerusalem. He is trying to to put up a bulwark of sorts to defend it. The Syrian army arrives, and Hezekiah first, his first uh, approach to defending Jerusalem, besides the the armaments, or the the walls rather, he seeks to 
pay, right, if you will, and, and buy them so much, as, so to speak, that they would simply leave them standing. That's his tactic. Sincherib, who had initially said yes to this from the Assyrian army, changes his mind. So he sends, I would imagine, Rabshukah, who is his commander, to demand that Hezekiah open the gates of Jerusalem and, in essence, submit to the Assyrian army. At first we had a deal, and no, I've thought this through, but I'm going to take Jerusalem. Now, Hezekiah, he refuses. He's not going to comply with these demands. Rabshukah begins to mock and taunt Hezekiah in front of everyone. So the Assyrian army surrounds Jerusalem. And what happens next? God sends down an angel to deal with this army. One angel. One angel. One night. And the army is no more. So the victory of this, right? This, this moment and their history comes this psalm. I mean, Hezekiah could have influence on it. Perhaps Isaiah was a prophet encouraging Hezekiah during this time. Maybe it was someone else. But this, this, this psalm comes from this moment. One angel, one night. Our enemies are destroyed. So it assures, right? They're talking about the assurance God can handle, right? According to His will, according to His good time, according to His way, His purpose, His plan. He will bring about, right? The destruction of our enemies. See, in our lives, we face uncertainties. We face um, discouragement. We have and understand moments of helplessness. We have endured hardship And I pray that as we look at this psalm, you would be reminded, just as the Israelites were reminded, God is God. All we need is one angel, right? One night. So this is what the psalmist records for us. In verses 1 through 3, I simply say, Our God is our solid rock. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, right, here's the conclusion, because God is this, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Though these things happen, right, we will not be moved. We will not fear. Why? Because God is our strength. God is our strength. He says refuge and strength. Now refuge simply means a place to go for protection, right? We understand that word. It's exactly what it means. And so the psalmist is simply saying, here it is. Our God, the God we call upon, the God we know through Scripture because our Bibles are open and we're learning who He is, He is the one who is our refuge. He will see us through. The psalmist definitely adds to this, just so you're sure about it, that he's a very present help. God doesn't love from a distance. He's intimately involved. 
right? Trouble, the word encapsulates the idea of in tight places. Have you ever been in a tight place? Have you ever found yourself saying, well, we're in a tight place? We're in a difficulty. God is our help. He is our strength. He's a present help and a refuge for us. In verses 2 through 3, I simply look at it that God is our stability. Right? Not only is He our strength, He's our stability. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear. That's something that our enemy utilizes often. Our government, unfortunately, is utilized often to manipulate and to drive. Right? We see this throughout history, the utilization of fear. But the, those who are anchored in who God is and know Him according to His Word will not fear. And look what he he contrasts this with. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. The idea of earth here is land, right? So if the land changes hands, I mean, here we're talking about an invasion. So if someone comes in and conquers the land, the believer says, I will not fear, though the land changes hands. I have a rock, and my life is built upon him. You think of the picture of the mountains, which usually you think mountains, we think stability, strength. And even though these these things we look upon on, on earth, and they slip into the heart of the sea, I still will not be moved. I still will not have fear. And again, I just want to remind you, he sent one angel. Let me put this into contrast. Where God speaks, He creates. They are writing in response to this victory. God sent one angel. So though the mountains we see as a bulwark, as majestic, has slipped into the sea, I will not fear. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its, at its swelling pride, nothing will change me. Nothing will move me. Yeah, my situation might change. There might be a different uh, normal for me in life. I mean, Hezekiah clearly had to just think on this. All this could be for nothing. We see what has come behind the Assyrian army. We see nothing but, but burning, right? We see the birds flying as there's loads of death out there. So even though all this may happen, though an earthquake might come and and tear me apart, though I might understand that spiritually in my life, I might be here this morning and thinking, I'm on the verge of just simply crumbling. We should not fear. We should be calling upon Him. Though those who stand up against us are very prideful, pointing the finger, mocking, we should never fear. God knows your name. God has created you. Whether there be a natural disaster, a national disaster, a personal disaster, He has not forsaken you. He doesn't simply abandon you. Psalmist says, He is our strength. So I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, this morning, what is tearing you apart? What is it that is tugging at you or keeping you awake at night? What are the things you have your thoughts simply cast upon that make you worry? What are the areas where you simply can't settle down? I cannot stop thinking about this. 
then take courage. Come to the refuge. Call upon his great name. Know him as this. He is our solid rock. The psalmist goes on from there. He sets a tone right at the very, very beginning. He's our refuge and strength, a present help in trouble. So therefore, right, I won't. I won't change. I won't be fearful. It goes on. My second point is simply this. Our God is our sole resource. Verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. What a contrast. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The word here for the rivers or streams is the idea of constantly flowing river. We're not to think about a, of a creek that only runs when, there's, uh, when the snow is melting off or there's some type of flash flood of sorts. This is a constant flowing river is what the psalmist is getting at. So he's saying, Jerusalem, despite the Assyrian army, despite what my eyes are seeing, we are to feel secure. God is in the midst of her. God is with us. Though trouble rages all around us. Right? You, you see this picture of Jesus sleeping on the boat, don't you? The disciples are going, he doesn't even care if we perish. And there's our picture. Though there is trouble God will refresh us. He says there is a river of streams. How often do we read in the Psalms of David saying, How long, how long, O Lord? But then he begins to contemplate, Oh yeah, God is, God is merciful. God has met my needs in the past. God is this, God is this, God is this. And he turns and says, Man, I will, I will worship the Lord. I mean, this is what the psalmist is saying. He refreshes us. He reminds us, this is his world. There is his constant presence. He is the ever-present, omnipresent God. He doesn't depart. He is always right close. He has sealed every believer with his spirit. Paul has told the Philippian church in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is accessible. He is uh, refreshing our souls. I think the challenge for us is to drink deep of what God's Word tells us of Him. It also says in verse 5, He will protect us. He is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. I mean, whatever happens in your life, we should know there is a sovereign God attached to it. We may not have uh, the understanding this side of eternity of why we walk through some of the things we walk through, but it is greatly comforting knowing that the Lord is the one walking us through it. He is shaping us, as Paul says, in Romans chapter 8, to the image of His Son. The Spirit at work. If in fact we are redeemed, if in fact we do know Him, we can count on this. Paul says, however, 
you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's the confidence of the believer, despite what is happening. I know whether the enemy or the world or the situation burns this body down, my spirit, I know where it's going. Whether he redeems me or not, I pray he would be glorified. This is who he is. This is the confidence. The mountains of stability are cast away. My only stability is in God. He is my protector. He goes on the second part of verse 5. God will help us when morning dawns. Often we forget, right? We think about God helping us the way we want to be helped. We want to set the terms of this agreement. I mean, who are, who are we that we would point our finger and demand anything from God? So, but yet God, despite, right, despite our hard hearts, often He gives us hope of a new day. He is loving this way. He, he extends grace. He extends help. The sun will rise according to God's purpose, to God's timing. The seasons of suffering that we may feel have their purpose. And only understanding God's word does it give us insight to trust. God in the midst of this is shaping me. The conversation goes from, Lord, how long, like David, to what, Lord, are you teaching me? What are you reminding me? This is what the children of God have. See, God is... Is active. We know there is a day. There is a day where there will be no more crying, no more pain. This life is but a moment. John says it like this and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be. No longer, excuse me, there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. God is our help. Verse 6, God will defend us. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. Think about it. What God can do with one angel, all he needs to do is speak. The storms are ruled. Jesus did this. He spoke. The storms were calm. This is the amazement of the disciples. Who is this? Let me ask you, is this not your God? Is this not our Savior? Can we not trust that the proud enemies will be annihilated? Can we not trust that he will conquer? That he will bring a, a new world, a new earth? Yeah, we can. And in verse 7, we know that, right, he will be with us. I always find it amazing in Scripture where we know these, right? We know these simple truths. 
I know God is with it. I know it. I say it countless times. And yet we read it over and over again in the Bible. Here it is, the Lord of hosts. I mean, this psalm references this three separate times. Why do you think that is? Because we go through situations of life. This is the first thing we forget. Are you with me? We begin to doubt it. He says the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Think about just moments in Scripture where you, you hear the words right in the midst of the river. He's in the midst of the river. Think about moments throughout Scripture where you, where you see this. You see Christ as a boy. He's in the midst of the temple debating with the scholars, and they're blown away at him, right? He's in the midst of the upper room after the resurrection. You see his activity. In Revelation, he's in the midst of his churches on the Lord's Day as he walks amongst his churches. He's in the midst of his throne. He's in the midst of the cherubim of the elders who are worshiping him. He's in the midst of church discipline. He tells us, we know he's with us, but he tells us, when you go forward in church discipline and you confront when three or two or more are gathered in the, in the confrontation of a sinning brother or sister, he says, I'll be with you. He's in the midst of those who are doing evangelism. Matthew 28, is he not with us? I will be with you even to the end of the age. And yet we'll come and say in these situations of life, and, and you're human and I'm human, we're all guilty of this, and we'll think, Lord, where have you been? The psalmist is saying, man, he is there. He's always been there. We see the word stronghold. How many times have we seen refuge, stronghold? We see these words over and over again. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God fulfills his promises. He keeps every single one of them. All the covenants, right? We, know, we never negotiate with God when it comes to covenants. We don't sit down at a table and reason with him and say, well, if you do this, then I'll do this, and we'll see how it goes. No, he sets the, the standard. Here it is. But he fulfills all his covenants. And Jesus says, this is my covenant and my blood. If you have believed on Christ, he does not go against his covenant, right? We know this now. We know it for eternity. This is what we have. Shame on us if we're doubting it. Verses 8 and 9, I say simply, our God is our sole confidence. Of course, you could, singular is the word I'm grabbing, but you can definitely attach that to S-O-U-L, right? But he says, come, behold the works of the Lord, right? He's dealing with those who are questioning. Maybe we're struggling. This is for you. Come and behold what the Lord has done, the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Man, what a perspective. What, a, what something wonderful to contemplate. Think about this. It has prophetic application. The psalmist is looking forward to a day, right, when Christ will return and he will destroy and set anew everything, right? The, the, the plowshares are turned in and the spears are broken. I mean, all of this. We see this picture of looking forward. Come behold this. There's a day. That's what he's saying. There's a past application. The psalmist is looking down. 
He's seeing the desolation of the Assyrians. Look what he has done. Take a moment and look on your life and go, has the Lord been with me? Have I seen his hand? I should encourage you. Look at the present application, right? He sees it right now, the struggle, the conflict. Come back, he says. Come back. Behold this God. Look what he has done in your past. Look what he has done in your present. Look what he's doing. Look what he's going to do in the future. I mean, you hear the words of Hebrews, right? The Hebrew writer saying, get your eyes off your problem and fix them once again on the Savior who's overcome the very world in which you're struggling. That's a challenge for every single one of us. I mean, I think as we look upon our nation, we know we struggle with principalities and powers. It's, it's no accident in our nation that we see the activity of Satan, his desire to kill right within the womb, the activity of abortion, which now apparently we've made uh, murder a right. It's your rights if you listen to the commercials. The attack on families separating children from parents. Everything the Lord, which the Lord has established will be attacked. This is where you're in. This is our battle. And when we're going to confront the spirit of the age. If there's going to be reformation from, from folks like you and me, then we better have some confidence that this is the God in whom we serve. That though I may be surrounded by an Assyrian army, my God, all he has to do, if he doesn't feel like speaking and melting them, all he has to do is send one angel. Is your confidence there? Three of us. I'm going to preach longer now until it gets home. <laughs> so here's the question. Boil this down. Really, are you beholding who he is? It's no accident the psalmist simply says, come. Come. If you're doubting this morning, come. Here's the answer. Behold. God so loved you that he sends his son into this world. The innocent son of God. Come to Calvary. Come behold what God has done. Come stand at the foot of the cross and say, man, Lord, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, if this is who your word says you are, then, then Lord, let me cast my mind, my soul. Let me meditate and contemplate the, the wonderments of your word. Bring me back to this activity I've seen in my own life that I presently see now, or maybe I'm struggling. Then, Lord, open my eyes and remind me that there is a day where you will wipe away every tear. Bring me to a place, Lord, where I fear not man, but I fear you in simple reverence. For you are a solid rock, you are my sole resource. Who are my only confidence? In the last few verses here this morning, he is our sole rest. The psalmist knows us, doesn't he? Come and behold, and then he turns around and says, and he's speaking to you this morning, speaking to me, cease. Cease going about this your own way. Stop it. Cease striving. Come to a knowledge, know, right? If, we, if we're doubting this morning, we could probably say, I don't know, right? Come to a knowledge, cease striving and know 
right, is, is prophetically right, that I am God. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So we see these words again. He is with us. See, as we come to understand, come to, to grips with, with the struggle or the situation of life, the things you might be walking through, the psalmist says, okay, cease from going about this in your own power. Instead, rest in God's power. That takes some understanding of knowing that this, this God in whom the word explains to us actually created everything and he actually created you and he's actually sovereign and he's actually all-powerful and he's actually almighty and he's active in my life. And I'm going to rest that in this situation I'm going to stop striving in my own strength, my own might. I'm going to stop trying to earn some right standing with God. I'm going to stop trying to go about my selfish work because I might know better than God. I know his, his church should be doing this, therefore we should be doing these things. No, we come back and we come to his word and we have this heart of reformation and we say, all right, I'm not going to go about this my own strength. I'm going to stop striving for my own things and I'm going to rest in the fact that he is God. He is going to exalt himself. He will be exalted in the earth. I know we live by you know these demands of our schedules. We live by um, <clears throat> these calendars, this wonderful, well, maybe we wouldn't use the word wonderful phone, right? This computer in our hand that tells us, hey, you better hurry up. You got this appointment, this schedule. Hey, there's this, this, this. And sometimes our schedules are so demanding that we just simply don't, Take time to have that Bible open. Rest in the Lord. Maybe for us this morning, we need to just reorient our priorities, right? God must come first. Our family second, right? Then our activities and service and all those other things, work, come after that. And I think one of Satan's traps is that he gets us, right, is to simply get us busy, we get consumed with thinking about what needs to get done. And I'm not saying there's not stuff to get done. I realize that. I understand a schedule. But sometimes that, that, the busyness of that schedule and the lack of communing and meditating on God's word, the lack of coming back and, and seeing what he has done and seeing his works and be reminded that he's in the midst of the river, that I can be refreshed in who, who God is, begins to wear on us. And I think some of our, our questioning and our doubts come from that. I believe Satan is very pleased when we begin to doubt the mightiness and might of God. So in your schedule, I encourage you, find time, right, to open his word. Take time as the hymn that says, take time to be holy, speak oft with the Lord, abide in him always, and feed on his word. Take time to be that. He will be exalted in the creation, right? This is our Father's world. God has a plan. We may look upon our government and the wickedness of our governor, and we might be tempted to say, God, where are you? With confidence, we should pray for our governor's soul and pray for every enemy outside of God who are pointing their fingers. 
It's a very dangerous place to be. But for us this morning, we need to be confident. Just as Paul says in Romans 8, I've cited Romans 8 quite a few times, that just now dawned on me, this sermon. He says this, we know, there's our word, we know, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Trust the Lord, rest in his power, and simply rest in God's presence. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I mean, that's such good news. He writes it twice specifically, but he references it three times, right? In the beginning. I mean, we have the Alpha and the Omega. We have the beginning and the end. We have the God who spoke, right? If we go back to the, this wonderful victory. And I think the psalmist understands one angel comes and wipes out the Assyrians. One angel, one night. But the psalmist doesn't say, Hey, there was one angel one night, does he? No, it's the Lord of hosts who is with us. The mighty Jehovah is our strength. All the angels around the throne who are worshiping, right? They don't compare even though they're mighty. They do this great work. They do his bidding. Yet it's not them he mentions. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. This is great news. And God is accessible to us through the cross of Christ. See, he is with us. Whether you like it or not, he is with us. Whether you're in the kitchen, whether you're getting ready for a fellowship, whether you're driving through traffic, those who struggle with that, amen. He's with you when you're dealing with uh, an impossible boss, a difficult boss, a family hardship, going through a financial problem. He's with you in those moments of loneliness and weakness. He's with you despite the countless failings you may have, have listed in your mind. He is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, the psalmist says. I mean, Jacob really, he had nothing, right, to, to earn, to deserve. If we think about him. He was deceitful. He was a deceitful shepherd. But God embraced him, changed him, made him Israel. See, just as Martin Luther, when he was discouraged, he would say, come, Philip, come, let's sing. Let's sing Psalms 46. Let's be reminded that it's not our striving that will win the day. The gods. Martin Luther understood that God was his solid rock, his only source, his only confidence, his true rest. This is what led him to sing. The mighty fortress is our God. So here in a moment, just in right fashion, right? So we're going to sing that, that hymn. But before we do, let's just simply pray and ask God to do two things, to forgive us 
uh, for failing to see who he is and to, and to help us and empower us to see more of who he is through his word. Lord, we, we thank you for this day. and um, We thank you for uh, Martin Luther uh, who, who simply trusted you and even though he desired debates, you brought about reformation. Your word is light and power. And because it reveals, Lord, to us who you are. And so, Father, we come with all our cares and all our concerns and all our, our uncertainties and the doubts that often win the day and our pride and God, all of it. We, we come and ask that you'd have mercy upon us and you forgive us. We confess. Often this is not our response. Our response is not, come, let us sing Psalm 46. It is rather to, to approach it questioning you and in our own striving. Have mercy on us. And bring us, Lord, I pray, today, each and every one of us, to a deeper understanding that this, you, this psalm brings us to you. You are accessible. So open our eyes, Lord, to trust in you. And to love you. That regardless of the difficulties of life, the situations, the things that weigh on us. Let us see your hand. Open our eyes to see your hand of providence, your, your might, your power. Let us rest in the fact that all you have to do is say the word and hearts will melt, right? Enemies will melt. And Lord, if you so desire to bring about it through one angel, we trust, Lord, the victory is yours. You will be exalted in our lives. You will be exalted in this world. So Father, we look forward to that day. We look upon our past and we see, Lord, your faithfulness in the present moment. Lord, help us to trust it yet again. And help us, Lord, to look forward to the day where you will wipe away every tear. We love you. We thank you. We pray this, God, for your glory that you would be to us, Lord, our refuge and our strength always. You would be a mighty fortress, accessible and present with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as I always like to say, if you have questions regarding the message, uh, please come and speak with me. If I can encourage you, whether through a conversation or prayer, I would love to do that for you. Um, but I do want to just simply um, close by lifting our voices. So if you would like to grab your hymnal, I encourage you to do that. The words, I believe, will be up on the... Um, screens, but uh, hymn 26, a very befitting, I would just say like Martin Luther would say, come let us sing this, say Faith Community Bible Church, come let us sing, a mighty fortress is our God. So if you would, let's stand together, let's lift our voices.